Good morning, Midland Free. Good morning. Praise God. Amen. We praise him, whatever the circumstances may be, whether there are tremendous uncertainties in our lives, uh, whether there is a known future, whether there are changing things all around us, we choose to praise God because we know that forever he is faithful. Welcome. My name is Pastor Jeremy. We're delighted to have you here to worship with us today. We're continuing in our summer series, which is in the book of Proverbs. We're doing some selected topics uh, along the way just to give us insight into life and God's way of doing things and how we might therefore uh, live well in this world. We're uh, today on one which was, uh, you'll like this, it was originally entitled Adultery. And then knowing that that was a bit of an <laughs> interesting title, we changed it to Integrity. And as I looked through this text, it was kind of interesting because if you've read the Proverbs, if you haven't, you should. They're really, really cool. But uh, it's just a book that's somewhat near the middle of the Bible that gives you sort of pithy sayings or daily antidotes or stuff to help you get through and there's a lot of stuff about relationships and male and female and what's right and what's not and what works and what doesn't and how do I negotiate this terrain. There's all kinds of stuff. And it's this dad who's advising his son or the sage to the learner, the disciple, and he's like, hey, watch out for this. Whoa, this is what you should be after, Proverbs 31. This? No, stay away. And he gives all these things to his son where he's just pleading with him saying oh come on buddy will you please listen to me this could save you so much pain if you will only hear me please hear me now believe me later whatever but listen please hear O israel the commands hear my son your father's wisdom listen please listen so today, as I wrestled with that, I, I, you know, I changed the topic, and I changed the topic, and then I came back around, and I think um, what I would call it now is perhaps a vision of integrity. You'll see a slide at some point. It's, you know, integrity, Proverbs, a wise disciple maker. If I was to come up with a sermon title today, it would be a vision of integrity. And the reason is, is because this text sort of plays upon that... Um, idea of vision it talks about your eyes and what they should focus on and stuff like that but it's really even more than that it's more than the physical it goes into the spiritual as well and so i also want to break it down just a little bit more and when we say integrity as i wrestled with that i thought well you know what's interesting what is integrity you know i mean we all want that it sounds good and you certainly want to be in a relationship with somebody who has it but what is it Generally, we define it as, you know, if someone is transparent, they're true to their word, they're true to their promises, they follow through, they, their yes means yes, their no means no, they are who they say they are, and you are 100% sure all the time of exactly what you have, because they're integral. There's nothing tricky or slippery or anything like that. This person is for real. And I thought about that, and I was like, well, this text, in some ways, is more about purity. So... In a strange way, though, purity and integrity are completely intertwined. And what I would say is that integrity is just the outward result of inward purity. In, in other words, purity is what you go after, is what you pursue for yourself. 
And the result will be integrity in your life that others will see and attest to. This is an integral person. Because why? Well, because I haven't been pursuing integrity. I've been pursuing purity. And the result is integrity. So I'm still kind of lost on the title. And if you come up with a good one, let me know. But today you'll see where we're going. And basically it's this. Is it, we're going to talk about a vision of integrity. Now, I'm kind of excited because when I get to talk about vision, that's kind of one of my um, home plate sort of, or home base sort of things or whatever. Home court, there we go. Plate, base, court, that's it. Home court. Home field. <laughs> Something. This is my ballpark. I don't know. This is where I like to be is because I'm a visual person. So you know what happens. You get married and... You think you've got yourself all figured out and you're going to explain it to your wife and they'll figure it out. But what actually happens is by marrying somebody else, you look in the mirror and you're like, wow, I am weird. You know, I didn't realize that about me. And there are several things that being married has pointed out to me. And one of which is how extremely visual I am. So, for example, you know, we're going down the road and I'm like, "Ooh, hawk. Ooh, this, ooh, that, you know, and that's me driving. And occasionally you hear the along the, you know, bumpers on the side because I'm just like, whoa, cool. Did you see that? Whoa, cool. Right. That was great. Meanwhile, my wife is like focused, right? you know, down the road. I'm like, hey, did you see that? You know, I'm visual. I pick up on all these little cues and I'm excited about them and they stimulate me. I'm like, whoa, neato, you know, and in a similar vein, if we're going down the road and it's time to eat, we stop and eat lunch and. We pull out the menus, and my wife starts reading, ooh, you know, asparagus, this, that, this, and that, and this, and that. Oh, that sounds interesting. I'm like, hmm, that one, you know, the great big picture, you know, that shows the big, beautiful thing. Why? Because I'm visual. And after a while, she pointed out to me, she said, you know, whenever we order, we we always read the menu, but it's almost 100% guaranteed that you order the one that's pictured. (laughs) You order what you see. I'm like, oh, good point. I'm a visual guy. Whereas my wife, on the other hand, and I think I have her permission to say this, is very aural. You know, that's what I meant last night when I was kind of falling asleep. Like, hey, can I, yeah, that illustration or at night? (laughs) You know, all right, this is that. Um, She's very aural. She has a master's in uh, classical music, and she's a pianist, and so she can hear stuff that the average human being just cannot pick up on. I mean, she's got 120 instruments out there. They're all in sync, harmonizing, doing their thing. And she's like, that's a viola and that's a violin. I'm like, right, (laughs) got it, whatever. You know, because she can pick up on stuff with her ears that I could never, ever hear. It's absolutely amazing. And as we interact with people, I think you'll see this as well, as each of us are wired in one way or another. And it may not be visual, it may not be aural, it may be touch, it may be smell, it may be this, it may be that. But we have certain attributes or parts of us that are more emphasized than others. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's not bad at all. It's just God's creative design. That's the beauty of the body. Like, I mean, for example, how how would you compare a truck and a Porsche. Do I really want a Porsche to fill up with gravel and haul it to my backyard and pile it around my foundation? No way. I would destroy the thing. I want a truck. You know, I want something that can haul stuff. And that truck's sitting there like, oh yeah, pile it on. This is going to be awesome. Dude, load me up. But I'm not taking that Porsche 
or that truck 120 miles an hour around a mountain curve. <laughs> no way. Meanwhile, that Porsche is saying, give it to me. Let me roll. I'm ready to run. Come on, baby. Vroom. You know, Let's go. Different strokes, different folks, different tasks, different abilities, whatever. That's what makes the body beautiful is because we have these aspects of our design that for some, they're more emphasized than for others. That's us as human beings. Why? Because we're limited. We're not perfect. All of our senses are in some ways not complete. No matter who you are, glasses, no glasses, whatever, we can't, we're not perfect. But God, on the other hand, he's entirely different. And if if you think of yourself as having these certain senses that are accentuated and others that are weaker, you should know that God has all of these senses to the nth degree. God's senses are in some ways, are very similar to yours, except that they are absolutely perfect. So you can say that God sees everything. He sees. He has perfect vision. You can say that he hears everything. What you whisper in the dark that you think you get away with is known to him. God knows. He hears. You cannot tell any secrets. You cannot tell any lies. He hears it all. God hears. God smells. Listen to the sounds throughout the Old Testament that are described around, it's not sounds, smells, around sacrifice and sin. Sacrifice is a what? Sweet smelling, savory aroma to him. Sin is what? A stench. It is like filthy rags. It's disgusting. It makes him want to puke. It is repulsive. It stinks. God smells. God not only smells, he touches. He can reach out and heal and destroy with one hand, and, or sorry, heal with one hand, and he can destroy and obliterate armies with the other. He touches. His touch is gentle. His touch is powerful. To the nth degree, God tastes. He drinks. He gives. God is good. He's limitless. So today, as we come to this text, Proverbs chapter 4, What we see is that the sage is taking those ideas, those senses, and he's using them to communicate a point. So you hear a lot of body parts, if you will. You hear about heart. You'll hear about eyes. You'll hear about mouth. You'll hear about feet. And he's going to use these parts of you to try to communicate this lesson. And the lesson is the theme for today, and the theme is essentially this. Here's what he's trying to say. To live a life of purity, this is what you got to do. Focus, refine, and follow. The theme for today is to focus your vision, refine it, and follow it. Focus, refine, and follow. This is Proverbs chapter 4, verses 23 and following. Now, if you've paid attention to our uh, sermon series so far, you know we've already done 423. uh, But what's neat is these following verses sort of flow right out of that. These are the things, 23 feeds right into the following phrases. So we're going to read 23, we'll read 24, and then I will focus. I will focus in on verse 25, all right? Verse, so Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 and following. It says this, Keep your heart 
with all vigilance, for from it flows the wellspring of life. Put away crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. But don't swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. So to live a life of purity, focus, refine, and follow. Focus is essentially verse 25. That's telling you, hey, you know, pay attention, concentrate, you know, focus your mind, look directly ahead. Refine your focus is verse 26. Ponder the path of your feet. And stay on track or follow your focus is verse 27. Today what I want to do is focus on verse 25 heavily. Uh, Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Now before I do this, I need to do a bit of a theological preface. And the reason is, is because the application, the second part, is pretty clear. You know, the Proverbs are basically applications. They're telling you what to do. But what sets this in context is the broader biblical picture, the whole theology of vision and eyesight in Scripture. And it's really kind of neat. Again, if you pursue that biblical imagery, you'll see all this stuff. For example, prophets are considered what? Seers. You know, the Messiah is going to do what? Give sight to the blind. People are talking about spiritual discernment and wisdom, and they'll talk in terms of spiritual blindness or the ability to see. And it's just an interesting theme that God is using to pursue us and to portray who he is. So I want to walk us through how this affects our view of God and then how that applies to us as well. And that's going to be my preface, that God is a visual God and we are visual people. And then we'll just apply that to our lives via these Proverbs. So God is a visual God. Now, as I said earlier, I'm a visual guy, so this is kind of affirming to me. I don't know where you're at in your sort of like uh, view of yourself, but I know that sometimes we have strong characteristics about ourselves that we either appreciate or don't appreciate, and we struggle with that. So, for example, for me, for a long time, it's, hey, I'm a visual guy, but look, the ACT and the SAT and all these other Ts aren't exactly measured by how well you see, they're measured by how fast you can read and process data and print it out again. And that's not necessarily reflective of an artist or a musician or a creative person or whatever. That's just this data processing test. For some people, that's awesome. For others, it's like, yeah, it doesn't really measure who I am. So I struggle with that for a while. But as I begin to come to this text, I look at it and I say, wow, this is so cool. God is a visual God. Now, maybe that's not your issue. Maybe you struggle with something else. But more than likely, as you look at whatever your strong sense is, there is in some sense a way in which God shares that as well. You say, hey, I'm just so relational. Well, God is relational. Well, I'm very data-oriented. Well, God is data-oriented. You know, there's so many ways you can process this that shows that God is just sharing himself with you, and you may have got a stronger dose than some others. (laughs) That's a good thing, because we're trucks or Porsches or whatever. Let's just be trucks and Porsches together and be happy with that. So here we are looking at this text, and I'm saying to you that God is a visual God. Why do I say that? Well, Psalm 94.9 says this. Hey, look, 
He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? God is a visual God. Now, I have to be really careful when I say God is a visual God, because if I'm not careful, then what I end up doing is becoming like a Greek philosopher or Greek mythology and taking our attributes and making God look like us. The reality is different. God made us in his image and made us look like him. Anything that's good about us, we get from him. Okay? It is not that we make God in our image. He makes us in his image. And so, in this sense, what we would say is, you know, does God have eyes? Not really. I mean, you can say that Jesus is the eternal God-man, and in that sense, he has eyes. But God the Father, God the Spirit, do they have eyes? No. Do trees clap their hands? No. But what do the Psalms say? They say that, you know, the mountains rejoice and the trees will, you know, clap their hands. And this is what we call anthropomorphism, assigning human characteristics to something that's not human. So today, by saying, in a sense, I'm saying this is a human characteristic that God has made human because he himself is and he is sharing with us. So God is a visual God. I'll I'll make that statement. But I'll also recognize that God the Father doesn't have eyes. Okay? But I would also like to say this. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22, that the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. What Jesus is essentially saying is, look, the eyes are a portal to the soul. You know how it works. If you look into somebody's eyes, you can tell. What's going on here? (laughs) Are they flittery? Are they trying to avoid eye contact? Are they bright and shiny and joyful? Is there anger? Is there deception? What do I see in their eyes? The eye is the portal to the soul. And if so, then it reveals something about the person, or even, I would say, the deity. And this is what I mean. God's eyes, if you will, reveal something to us about him. In other words, what do they tell us? Well, for example, Proverbs 15.3 says this, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. What do God's eyes tell us then about him? He is in every place and he sees everything and he knows whether what you're doing is right or it's wrong. And you can't get away with it. And that's huge. God is omniscient. God is omnipresent. God is omnipotent. And he sees what you do in the dark. Not only does he see what you do in the dark, he sees what was done to you in the dark. He knows. He knows whether you are the abuser or the abused. He knows whether you are the innocent victim or whether you are taking advantage of someone else. God sees. He sees everything. Job tells us he cuts out channels in the rock and his eyes see every precious thing. This is a good thing for us as Christians. For we who live in a sinful and a fallen world, one of our things that we long for is justice. You're hearing a lot about this in our media, in our society, in our struggles right now. What happened? We don't know. We didn't see it all. Did the cell phone catch it or is there more? What's going on here? 
We want justice for everybody. That's not fair. What's going on? Well, God sees. Hebrews tells us in chapter 4, verse 13, that no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. In other words, justice will happen. It will. Even if it's not in this world, our longing for justice is good and it will be fulfilled. Why? Because God saw it. And if God saw it, they're not going to get away from it, get away with it. Here's a quote from uh, one fellow I think you know. His name is Martin Luther King Jr. This is what he says about justice. I know you're asking today, how long will it take? I come to say to you this afternoon, however difficult the moment, however frustrating the hour, it will not be long. Because truth crushed to earth will rise again. How long? Not long. Because no lie can live forever. How long? Not long. Because you shall reap what you sow. How long? Not long. Because the arc of the moral universe is long and it bends towards justice. Martin Luther King Jr. Justice will happen. Jesus is just. And God sees it all. You cannot get away with it, nor can they. Whatever it might be, justice will be served. We have this great faith, this great hope, this great rejoicing, that knowing that our God is just. God is just. Not only is he just, but also on an interpersonal level, he's two more things that we long for in people, and that is he's understanding and appreciative. He knows. He understands. He saw He knows how hard you worked the last however many years, even if somebody else doesn't appreciate that. He saw everything you did. He knows. He saw it. He saw it all. He saw the extra time, the overtime, the extra effort. He saw it. He knows, he understands, and he appreciates it too because he saw it. This is how your work becomes an offering to God because God sees everything you do. And you can offer it to him as a holy sacrifice, saying, Lord, you see, my boss doesn't, my coworkers don't, my friends don't, whoever, but you know what I'm doing today. Even if I try to describe it to someone else, they may not understand. But you see. You see. God sees. God's eyes, they reveal things about him, that he is just, that he is understanding, that he's appreciative, and also that he is real. If you look through the Old Testament, what you see is when it ever describes an idol, it always makes fun of them because, you know, they're like little tiki dolls or whatever. They have arms that you can wiggle. You know, they have eyes that don't see. They have ears that don't hear. They have hair that's fuzzy from some other animal or whatever. They're fake. They're not real. They're inactive. They're inoperable. They don't work. But God's eyes are active and moving all the time in every place, seeing everything. Therefore, our God is real. He is different. So this is God. He is just, understanding, real, active, appreciative. How then does that apply to me? Well, people are visual creatures too. Now, let me say at the start of this, I know right away that there are various degrees of visual visual people, right? I'm wearing glasses. (laughs) My vision isn't perfect. In fact, what is perfect vision? Well, some say 20-20, but I checked with an eye doctor this week who attends our church, and she said actually 20-20 is not 
perfect vision. It just means that you can see 20 feet in front of you as well as the average person. It's just the average really good compared to everybody else. It's completely arbitrary and relative. It's not perfect. That's how you can have better than 2020 vision. In fact, lots of people aren't even able to see. There are 39 million people on our planet who are blind. And roughly six times that have some kind of vision impairment. Does this make them less of a person? Of course not. It just means that one of their senses is different than some of the others. And we can be their eyes for them. So then, what do we know? Well, I would say people are visual. And here are some interesting facts about eyes. Okay? Here are some interesting facts. The complexity of the eye is such that it is the second most complex organ in the entire human body, only behind the brain. So in other words, if the old saying goes, you know, it's not like it's a brain surgery, you could say the same thing. It's not like it's eye surgery. (laughs) It's complicated. The eye is incredible. In fact, your eyes start to develop only two weeks after you are conceived. Your eyes, when they are fully developed, are one inch across and only weigh a quarter of an ounce. But what's interesting about this is that my two-year-old daughter, her eyes will never grow. They are the size now that they will always be. Once you come out, your eyes are fully developed. Interestingly enough, however, when, as a newborn, you don't produce tears, tears don't come until they're 4 to 13 weeks old. Your eyes blink at 12 uh, 12 times per minute, and they can see 50,000 different shades of gray. Humans and dogs are the only species on the planet known to actual, actually take visual or emotional cues from the eyes. So here's this incredibly complex little thing that God's stuck in your head that causes you to be in some ways like him. Now the question then becomes, well, what does it reveal about you? We said this is what it reveals about God, his justice, his care, his compassion, his concern. What do your eyes reveal about you? The eye is the portal to the soul. As such, it lets in light and it lets in darkness. And that is true both physically and spiritually as well. Thus, when you follow this theme throughout Scripture, what happens in the garden? The woman is tempted, but what does Genesis 3 say? In verse 6, it says, okay, so the serpent comes to her, he says, hey, give this a try. But it's not until verse 6 that you realize it's really going to happen, because in verse 6, it says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for fruit, that's when she was ready to commit the sin, when she saw it. David and Bathsheba in... 2 Samuel chapter 11, you know what happened back then? In the spring of the year, the time when the kings go to battle, David remained at Jerusalem, and it happened late one afternoon. He arose from his couch, was walking on the roof, and then he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. When David saw the sin set in. This is why Jesus in the New Testament says, hey, if your eye is bad, tear it out, throw it away. 
It's better to enter life with one eye than to be thrown in the lake of fire with two. The eye is the portal to the soul, and through this enters temptation, light, and darkness. What do your eyes reveal about you? Well, what are you looking at? What you look at tells me what you desire. What causes you to turn your head? Is it the Porsche or the truck or the woman? Your eyes are the portal to your soul. They reveal things about us. One of the things that uh, Scripture makes very clear is uh, Proverbs chapter 6. This is a verse we uh, probably don't meditate on a lot, but it's very important. It says this, these are six things that God hates. Yes, the Lord hates. Chapter 6, verse 16, it says, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Look at the very first thing it lists. What is the very first thing that this author says that he hates? Haughty eyes. Also a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, Hearts that devise wicked plans, feet that run to evil, false witness, but haughty eyes. God hates pride. He hates it with a passion. And you know when that shows up in somebody's eyes. And church people, let me tell you, this is scary business. So as a pastor, it's easy for us to go there. Especially for people who have been in a church a long time. It's funny, some of the behaviors you see, both in yourself and in others, and you go, wow, where did that come from? What happens is this. People who you normally hold with high expectation, man, this person is a leader, they are held to the highest standard. Wow, I look up to them. All of a sudden you're like, whoa, really? Where did that come from? The answer is pride. Pride. Prideful heart will bring you down faster than anything else. It shows up in your eyes. Thus, the author in this text is very clear to say, hey man, focus. You need to focus, focus, focus. Guard your eyes. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 25 says, look, let your eyes look directly ahead and your gaze Be straight before you. Focus, focus, focus. Our eyes reveal our hearts. So, you want to live a life of purity? This is how you do it. You focus on the good. You refine that focus. And then you follow that focus and don't deviate from it for the world. It's very much like you'd hear a career counselor or somebody you know, giving you advice. Hey, what's your target? Okay, set your plan. Now stick to that plan. If something comes in and sort of makes things wonky, you refine and adjust and adapt and improvise and overcome, but don't deviate. Follow that path. Here we go. Don't ever stop because it's a lifetime pursuit. Purity is eternal. It is a lifetime pursuit. Focus, refine your focus and follow it. So here are some examples in the Old Testament of different focuses. Judges chapter 17, 
Judges chapter 17, verse 6. In the days of the judges, this is what happened. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Right? That's what happened in Judges. Their eyes said, we don't care what the Lord says. We're going to do whatever we want to do because our, our morality is our own decision. We make our own rules and we'll do whatever we want. Does that sound familiar? Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. What's right to you is fine. What's right to me, you know, whatever. It's all subjective. It's completely personal. Based on your own experience and feelings and whatever. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And the Lord God would say, oh man, that someone would have a heart for me. That someone would fear me and love me and obey me and keep my commands. Who will that be? Well, it certainly wasn't Saul. But let me see if I can find someone after my own heart. A guy by the name of David. The Lord God appoints David because his eyes reveal something different. And in 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 5, this is what happens. David did what was right in whose eyes? In his own eyes? No. In the eyes of the Lord. David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, so he was considered a man after God's own heart. But David's a person, and he's a fallen human being, and as a result, he sins. And so, while for the most part he did really, really well, the author of 1 Kings is clear not to leave out the fact that at one point he did deviate from the path. He turned aside. And despite all of the warnings, don't turn aside, don't turn aside, look straight ahead, pay attention, look what happened. Why do you think Solomon, David's son, was so concerned about this? You know, he's seen it firsthand. The wreck and havoc that it wreaks on a family when you turn aside. David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord most of the time and did not turn aside from anything that he commanded all the days of his life. Oh yeah, um, except for in the matter of Uriah, the Hittite. Don't turn aside. Focus. Refine your focus and follow it. What do I focus on, Pastor Jeremy? Well, the answer is pretty simple and pretty generic. It's focus on the good. What is the good? Well... Uh, Philippians 4 tells us pretty clearly, uh, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about, concentrate, or focus on these things. This should be your mental picture day in and day out on this. Focus on the good. Focus on the good, first point. Point two, refine your focus. I come from the Missouri area, as many of you know, and uh, use a little analogy here. There's a base by the name of Fort Leonard Wood there, and at Fort Leonard Wood, there's the Army Specialist Group entitled the Sappers. And what these people's job is, is basically they're part of the Army Corps engineers, but they uh, specialize in explosives and destructions. Their job is to clear the road. Now, let me also put a little disclaimer out here. I am not uh, advocating America is the new Israel, and our job is to blow up everything else and make it do what we want. That is not my message. My message is that Jesus Christ is the king, and we are his people, and we pray for his eternal kingdom. And as far as I can tell, America wasn't mentioned in the book of Revelation. 
But I love my country, and I'm here. And so I want to serve according to Romans as best as I can while I'm on this earth in a fair and just way. So here are these people. They're called sappers, and their job is to clear the way for people who are coming through. And what they do is they remove obstacles. They blow things up, and then they build bridges. This is the idea in Proverbs chapter 4.26 when it says ponder. The Hebrew word here has the idea of not just sit there and think about, but if there's something in the way, you get rid of it. If there's something that's causing your feet to stumble, if there's a problem in your life, in order to pursue your path, you've got to remove the obstacle. Ponder, think about, get rid of, clear the way. What is it you're pursuing? If you're pursuing the good, what is it that's holding you back from getting there? If there is something that is sinful in the way, I'm not talking about a person, I'm talking about sin, you need to get rid of it. Focus, pursue, ponder, refine. This is the idea of Colossians chapter 3, where it says, hey, look, put to death this stuff. Blow it up. Get rid of it. What? Other people? No. This Whatever is earthly, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, and, which is idolatry. These, on account of these, are the wrath of God. Get rid of these things. Kill them. Put them to death. That's what you're to destroy. That's what you're to blow up. Get rid of this. Clear your vision, as the psalmist says. Then verse, uh, Psalm 119, verse 37 says it will go like this. Turn your eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Open my eyes that I may behold the wondrous things of your law. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. What? Enlightening the eyes. If you want to see and you want to see clearly and you want to pursue the right path, you need to focus on the good. You need to look to the work of the Spirit. What is the work of the Spirit? The Word of God. All Scripture is what? Theonumatos. It is God-breathed. Scripture is the work of the Spirit. Therefore, if you want to pursue the work of the Spirit, you pursue Scripture and you pursue God. Focus on the good. So focus, refine, and follow. Finally this, if, if you're a visual person, you know that it never ends. I mean, your eyes are just bouncing back and forth every day, seeing all kinds of stuff. If you go to a movie at the end of it, you might be like, whoa, I am overwhelmed. So much stimuli coming in. Or someplace that a lot of stuff is going on, it's hard to concentrate because your eyes are picking it up left and right, left and right. In fact, when I looked at some of these eye facts, I saw that the eyes are always moving. They're never static. They're just boom, 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 going, 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 going. Indeed, the Bible affirms that as well in Proverbs chapter 27, 20. It says it like this with regard to sin. It says, Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied and never are the eyes of man. Your eyes are always, when you are awake, they are open and susceptible to temptation. Thus you come to this proverbial fork in the road earlier in the uh, Proverbs series, I put up that graphic which showed you two different directions and the sage is warning his son saying, look, you're either going to go the way of life or you're going to go the way of death. 
So keep your eyes open and make sure you stay on the path because if you take the wrong turn, you're going down. Here it is. Pay attention. Look. Pay attention. Psalm 119. Then you will not be put to shame. What? Having your eyes fixed on all of your commandments. Focus on the good. Focus, refine, and follow. Now, as we look at this text, man, I I think about myself. I go, man, I haven't always got it right. And I look at the kings in the Old Testament. I say, boy, they sure didn't get it right. I mean, even the good ones had their issues. Can we ever find a king who gets it right? Is there one out there from the line of David who actually did pursue the right path? David did what was right, except for. So-and-so did what was right, except for. When will we ever find a true king? Is there one who is just? Is there one who sees everything and knows all? I think so. In fact, he said as much. He came and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am that path you're supposed to follow. I am that king who gets it right. The first Adam messed up, but the second Adam, this is the one. Thus, I challenge you today to see and see clearly what your eyes reveal about you. What picture of your heart does it give? Is it pride? Is it lust? Is it contentment? What is it? Your eyes will tell you. And maybe you're sitting out there and you've never committed an affair and never will and you'll make it through the rest of your marriage just fine. But in your heart of hearts, you know you're not content. Because you're sitting there thinking, "Eh, maybe I could have done better, this or that, or blah, blah, blah. Reality is, What you have is the best you could possibly get. And thinking you deserve better than that in any other way is nothing but a lie from the pit of hell. And that's called pride. In fact, the reality is what you have is probably better than what you deserve. By a lot. Pursue your path. Focus on the good. There is one who sees and he gives sight to the blind. There is one who hears and he heals the deaf. There is one who smells and he offers himself a perfect sacrifice. There is one who touches and even the people who bump into him get better. There is one who tastes, but he's holding out. Because he said this, I will not be drinking wine from this cup again until that day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. Fix this picture firmly in your mind, church. Here is your focus. King Jesus descended from the line of David, raised from the dead. Earth and sky flee from his presence. Mountains melt like wax before him. Who is like our God?
focus refine and to follow. Father, you are good. And we're not. You're perfect. You're true. We fail. God, please forgive us. If we sing these songs, cleanse our hearts, cleanse our mind. Forgive us for things that we have desired that we should not, even if we haven't touched, if we've looked, if we've reached, if we've thought, if we've sensed, if we've felt. God, heal us. You are the healer. You're the physician. Touch us. You see. You know. And Lord, if we've been hurt, if, if injustice happened, we rely on you to take care of that. Make it right. We pray that your son would return quickly and your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And help us, God, to fix our eyes on King Jesus. Amen.